0: God's nation in a world descending into chaos. Today we have inflation, disease, political unrest, domestic terrorists, school shootings, tensions between the United States of America and China. Tensions between the United States and Russia, divisions in our country over immigration, abortion, same-sex marriage, LGBTQ indoctrination of children, and transgender confusion. There is the devaluing of marriage via pornography, no-fault divorces, normalization of premarital sex and cohabitation. What in the world is going on? Let's turn to Psalm 46, as I want to bring you this message I've entitled, God's Nation in a World Descending into Chaos. Israel was God's chosen nation in the Old Testament. And Psalm 46 is a song about God's nation in a world of descending that is descending into chaos. It's a song about God's nation in a world descending into into chaos now we don't know when Psalm 46 was written and so interpretive presents us with some interpretive challenges because um, did it happen prior to the exile was it written then or was it written after the exile Uh, because we're, we're going to have God's holy hill mentioned and that can either be referring to Jerusalem a lot of times it is but oftentimes it 's referring to god 's heavenly uh, mount okay, and so we will uh, we 're not going to spend a whole lot of time on what that is or what it isn 't because god God dwells in heaven in the heavens, and ultimately we will see that come to fulfillment at the end in revelation so we 'll We'll cover a few of those things, but we're going to gloss over that real quick. Just letting you know, we don't know. This could have been written as the Babylonians are starting to take over the nations around Israel. And there's fear and trembling and that type of thing and uncertainty as to what is going to happen. We're just not sure as the timing of when it is written. But they were chaotic times. And certainly there was a lot of uh, evil kings uh, in the nation of Israel. Uh, We're told about in the book of 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And so there's just times of strife and upheaval. And so this song is written during those times when the world seems to be descending into chaos. Psalm 46, we see this song for troublesome times. And first we see that God helps his people in verses 1 through 3. The introduction there says to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth. Now, we don't know what Alamoth is. It's just a word we don't know. Translators don't know. It's probably something that would cue the choir that was singing. Uh, we just don't know. But we are told here it is a song meant to be sung. So, verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Now, what you want to note here is the decreation language. In other words, the world or the earth seems to be returning into its original creation status, uh, disordered and covered with waters. That's the imagery that's getting presented here says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Pause. Think. We have in verse one a statement of fact. God is our help. And then there's a logical conclusion from that. No fear. No fear. It would be like uh, it would be like. If we were to have the uh, open gym tonight and LeBron James was going to show up and he was on my team and he was he was a little late and we were down five to nothing and I would turn and say to the guys, no fear, man, guess who just walked in and we're going to win, you know. And so God is our help. We will not fear. There's no fear in verses two and three. So God is the helper of his people. Now, in verses 4 through 7, we're going to see a contrast of kingdoms, a contrast of kingdoms. Now, we talked about the, uh, the imagery of decreation, the world returning to its pre, uh, pre-formative stage. In here, we're going to see uh, Eden-like language used, talking about a stream flowing That makes glad the city of God God is in her midst And so we have God in the garden of Eden After he has ordered everything on the earth And so we have this imagery going on This Eden imagery And then we're going to see kingdoms The earthly kingdoms Which in the scriptures and other places And you're just going to have to trust me for this right now Because we just don't have time to go through it all But in the scriptures Mountains represent kingdoms and the seas represent the nations In the vision of Daniel It's these, The beasts rise up out of the sea So there's the nations out there And then these rulers or kingdoms come up out of the sea So we're going to see that imagery contrasted here Compared and contrasted with, this, with these kingdoms The kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this earth So verse 4 There is a river So we see here the city of God contrasted with the earthly kingdoms. And we see that God's kingdom is not going to be moved, unlike the, 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 the kingdoms that are tottering here because the nations rage. And we see the, the, <clears throat> that God, is, uh, God shall not be moved and he is going to help his city When his when in early in the morning and when the morning dawns, this is kind of a new creation language. The morning dawns. And this passage, it kind of sparks with messianic and and judgment imagery. I don't know if you've ever done it, but if you take a lifesaver, winter green lifesaver in the dark and you crunch it. Have you ever had seen sparks? Have you ever done that? If not, then go buy a bag. Sit around at night, crunch it, and let somebody watch sparks come out of it. When we read this passage, messianic sparks are flying off of it. Okay, the judgment imagery, the messianic imagery, when it says the nation's rage, that should call us back to Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter two, two, excuse me, Psalm two and uh, And then also Psalm 18, where that imagery is used, the nation's rage, as well as Joel 2 and uh, Joel 8 and Amos chapter one, all refer to this earth melting when God speaks. And so uh, borrow either the prophets borrowed from this psalm or this psalm borrowed from the prophets, depending on when it was written. (coughs) And so it's just sparking with messianic imagery and judgment imagery. And then we see in verse seven, the conclusion of God's covenant citizens. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why does he use the God of Jacob? The God of Jacob is the uh, the covenant uh, is made with Jacob and his sons, the twelve tribes of Israel. And so the God of the covenant of Jacob is their protection is their fortress. So there's that contrast of kingdoms. The kingdoms are raging and they're t- the kingdoms are tottering, God's nation secure. Then we see in verses eight through eleven an invitation to see the Lord's work and his working in the past and in the present, and then what he is up to. So let's read verses eight through eleven. And again, this is a song to be sung. So this is an invitation through song to come and behold the works of the Lord. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, that should remind us God desolated the earth at the flood. He desolated Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone, and he brought plagues upon Egypt and that's just a sampling of the desolations that God, we know of in the past, has brought upon the earth. He has brought desolations on the earth. Verse 9, presently, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, God is in control of everything that's happening right now. He, d- he didn't go, uh-oh, look what Russia did. No, he he knew what they were up to. And he knows when it will end. He knows when he will bring peace in those areas. He is still sovereign in this world today. And then verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then the conclusion of the covenant people in verse 11 again Saying what they said in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we have God's work in the past. In the present. And then there's a command to rest upon a promise. Be still and know. He is God. And he will be exalted among the nations. And he will be exalted in all the earth. Even as they are being threatened by outside forces. So now. That is the Old Testament. That is the trust that the people of Israel were placing in God in troublesome times. Now but that's the Old Covenant. And Israel was God's covenant people in the Old Covenant. But what about us in the new covenant? Well in the Old Covenant in Exodus nineteen six God said this of the people of Israel when He had brought them out of Egypt. He says, "You shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." And then we find in First Peter two nine, Peter is inviting the Gentiles into the new covenant, and he uses this same language. He says, "But you," uh, in Second Peter two nine, "But you are a chosen race." a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, Christians, whether Jew or Gentile, are God's new covenant people. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, you become one of God's people. You are brought into citizenship in his kingdom. The United States of America is not God's nation. Satan and self-gratification rule the people of this nation. But Christians, whether Jew or Gentile, are citizens of God's nation under the new covenant. Now, if that's the case, then let's see how this psalm finds its fulfillment and application for us. Because we want to look at God's nation in troublesome times as the world descends into chaos. First of all, in in Psalm 46, verse 6, it says, "...the nations rage." And again, I told you that calls back to Psalm two, where the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing that is referenced by the New Testament church in Acts four twenty three. And they they pointed to the crucifixion. The nations raged against God and his Messiah and they crucified him. Acts four twenty three it says, And when they, these were the disciples who were evangelizing for Jesus, were brought in to the to the Jewish rulers, and they were told not to preach in Jesus' name, and they said, Well, we have to obey God rather than man. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. So At the same time, so this sounds like a psalm that is a prayer, a song that's a prayer. They lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, the nations raged at the crucifixion, but God overcame them with a resurrection. And you and I, folks, as this world is descending into chaos, need to tell others about Jesus Christ and the hope that they can have in Him. And that if they'll repent of their sins and trust Him as their Lord and Savior, He will be their King and they will be His people. So the nations raged, but then we see the city of God in verse four. Uh, Psalm 46, verse four, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Jesus, death and resurrection brings the spirit to his people who are then the city of God. Now, some of you may be like, "What?" stay with me. okay? stay with me. Look at John chapter seven, verse thirty seven. Jesus' death and resurrection brings the Spirit to His people who are the city of God. John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. <clears throat> so when Jesus was glorified or resurrected, the, Holy, the promise of the Holy Spirit was given to believers. So when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God places his spirit within you. Now, this doesn't happen with fanfare and babbling and all that other stuff that we have misconceptions in our day. It's simply a fact. God dwells within his people. He places his spirit within them. This is all fulfilling what was promised to Abraham in Galatians 3. We find this uh, Galatians 3 verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed Along with Abraham, the man of faith, what's the blessing, right? We have faith like Abraham had in God's promises and he saves us. What's the blessing we received? It's found in Galatians 314 so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we see the Holy Spirit is given to all who are justified by God's grace through faith in Christ. The spirit joins believers together to build a dwelling place for God. We find this in Ephesians 2 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's speaking to the Gentiles. We were outside. We were not the people of God. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, citizens of God's nation with the saints. And we're also members of the household of God. In other words, we're children brought into his household. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And so... The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ brings the spirit to his people who then become the dwelling place or the city of God. And we find that ultimate fulfillment in Revelation 21 verses one through eight. And We're reading a lot lot of long passages this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and get to them. But Revelation 21 verses one through eight, the apostle John sees this. Vision He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So there's a total recreation and the seas, which represented chaos uh, and destruction and judgment. They're not even around anymore. So there's going to be peace forevermore. And I'm getting off on things. You got to stop me. To have, I need Pastor Tather. I need him to have a shock thing. Says, back. Verse two. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So in the new creation, we see the final fulfillment or the ultimate fulfillment of us dwelling with God for eternity in the streams that make us glad. So Jesus' death and resurrection brings the Spirit to His people who are the city of God. Now, we also spoke in verse 6 about the voice of the Lord melting the earth. We see that happen. God is going to destroy the nations and renew the world. And I've given you a bunch of references up here that you can look up. I'm going to read to you too. Revelation 11, verses 15 through 18. Because this passage refers specifically to our passage in the Psalms. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. God will destroy the nations and he's going to renew the this world, It's the new creation. We also see it in second Peter chapter three. And we're going to read again a large chunk. One verses one through 13, just to catch the context of what is going on. He says there, second Peter three, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So these people who follow their desires, they're going to deny a couple of things. First, in verse 4, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? It's like he's never coming back. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So they deny God's creation. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. They deny a worldwide flood. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, now pointing to the future, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God, one day, by the word of his mouth, is going to recreate this world and it's going to burn and it's going to be recreated. He's going to destroy the nations and renew the earth. So we see that ultimately fulfilled in the future. But write it down. It's going to happen. Then in verse 10, we see God's exaltation among the nations. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord's exaltation among the nations is accomplished in our day by churches fulfilling the Great Commission. You see, God's nation is ruled by God's Christ who rules from heaven. And he is sending us out, out into the nations, not to conquer with guns and bombs, but with the gospel. We're to call people out of the nations and into God's nation through faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. And then they become indwelt by the spirit. Their sins are forgiven and they become a citizen of God's nation. And then our churches our little embassies all throughout the world—we're embassies for God's nation. And we represent His reign and His rule here in the United States of America, and in Mexico, and Canada, and all these other. They have their rule and they have their reign, and it doesn't necessarily match God's. In fact, oftentimes it doesn't. But here, we represent God's rule. We represent God's nation. Matthew twenty-eight, verse eighteen: Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven." And on earth has been given to me. In other words, in the spiritual realm and the earthly realm. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Romans 1, verse 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to the, to the Romans and he is telling them of his mission And he says that he has received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. He says, I'm going out to the Gentiles and I'm going to let them know about God's gospel. And they're going to make his name great. They're going to exalt his name among the nations. So our work now by fulfilling the Great Commission will ultimately result in God's promise made in Psalm forty six to be fulfilled. And we find that in Revelation fifteen four. Revelation fifteen four. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. And then Revelation twenty one, verses twenty-four through twenty-six Uh, talking about God being the light of His city, New Jerusalem, coming down. It says, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. You see, though the world around us descends into chaos, the Lord of angel armies is with His church. The God of the new covenant is our fortress. The Lord's exaltation of the nations is accomplished by churches fulfilling the Great Commission. And so in our day, we have inflation, disease, political unrest, domestic terrorists, school shootings, tensions between the United States and other nations, divisions in our own country over immigration, abortion, same-sex marriage, LGBTQ indoctrination of children, and transgender confusion. We have the devaluing of marriage by pornography and no-fault divorces, the normalization of premarital sex and cohabitation. And again, I say to you, the United States of America is not God's nation. Satan and self-gratification rule this nation And all the nations But there's a better way There's a better kingdom A better king His way is good His kingdom will never be overthrown And the people of his nation gather in churches around the world As embassies representing the rule of King Jesus God's nation is represented here in the church Believers are citizens of God's nation, and we gather to exalt God among the nations. We praise the Lord in the present as we long for the future new creation. We all must follow the way of our king, rest in his protection, rejoice for the spirit's indwelling, and then invite others to behold the Lord's work through the gospel, just as the ancient Israelites did In Psalm 46, resting in his protection, rejoicing by the Spirit's indwelling for us in the New Testament, because we have the river of life through the Spirit, and then inviting others to behold the Lord's work through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I say to the single folks among us this morning, live for Christ. Abstain from sex as you live dedicated to your King. To the married, I would say, stay committed and faithful to each other as you help one another grow in Christ's likeness. Keep the bonds of marriage pure. To the parents, I would say this, prioritize Christ and his church. Prioritize the king and his kingdom. They have to be first in your life. Your children will know what is most important to you because they observe you. What is most important to you, parent yourself, them or Christ? Because parents can get caught up in their children. Some parents live selfishly for themselves, no matter who's around them. Some parents live for their kids so much they make their kids their gods, basically, and they cater to them. But the godly parent puts Christ first. When we when when our kids were growing up, Sunday church was just part of the routine. I never expected to go into my kids' room and say, Hey, do you want to go to church this morning? I struggled with it. I knew they were going to struggle with it. Right? But we have to prioritize the king. And so they learned from us that church was a priority. The greatest priority. So parents, prioritize Christ and his church. Then children, some of you are saying, Well, I have to be here. <laughs> my parents brought me. Okay. One day, you'll have a choice. One day you'll have a choice I pray that you'll choose to do just what you should do now Live for the praise of your king And not your peers Live for the praise of your king and not your peers Because there's a lot of peer pressure out there And we have a lot of social media influencers That are influencing us to do things Influencing us to do what? All kinds of things Sometimes good Sometimes evil But we have this tendency to want to be liked or to be approved by others. Live for the approval of one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't worry about your peers. And then to the elderly, I would say, you need to invest in discipling and praying for the next generation instead of retiring to live for yourself and your own pleasure. And I say that because we have to contrast, right, between what the kingdoms of this world are up to and then what you need to be up to. And all these things cross over, right? We all, in these areas, need to be following Christ. Because it's, it's not just about premarital sex for the single person. It's, it's not just about staying committed and faithful to each other for the couples. It's not just prioritizing Christ for parents. We all need to prioritize Christ, right? We all need to live pure sexual lives. It's not just the children that need to live for the praise of the king. We all must follow the way of our king. Prioritizing the king and his church, which represents his kingdom rule. We need to rest in his protection. We need to rejoice in the spirit's indwelling. And then invite others to behold the Lord's work through the gospel. Folks, the Lord of angel armies is with us. The God of the new covenant is our fortress. So even as the world around us descends into chaos, we need not fear. But rather, we need to invite others to join God's everlasting kingdom through the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, you've never you've never come under his reign, repented of your sins and and come under his reign as the lord of your life and ask him to forgive you because of his death. His burial, and His resurrection for your sins, then I urge you this morning to do that. Come, join us in God's kingdom as as citizens and sons of God's nation. And then believers, don't fear. Don't get caught up in all the swirling chaos of this world. We have a king whose city cannot be moved. It will not be overcome. We have a new creation to look for. He wrote it down and promised it to us. So live your life under his reign and under his rule. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Psalm 46. How we see the, the hope of the covenant God of Jacob becoming the new covenant God of us. Those who have faith in Christ. I pray, Father. You will work in our hearts. Help us to remember daily that You are our King. And that You rule and reign in our lives. And that we need not fear this world, no matter how bad it may seem to get as it devolves into chaos and destruction. Father, give us resolve to live on Your promises. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.